Well, hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is uh, Tim Mossolder, but you can just call me Grandpa Tim. Yes! <laughs> we had quite the week, but... Kaylin had even a bigger week. Uh, last week, she was up here helping to lead worship, and she looked beautiful. She was radiant, and she was large. Man, we are just so blessed. He is, he is amazing. And uh, many people have asked, so I'll just tell you, he was 8 pounds, 7 ounces. It's a little, little man-child, 21 inches long. And when you do get to meet him sometime in the next uh, weeks, you, you are going to see, I, this kid has got the longest limbs and the biggest hands. And, uh, you know, Kaylin is taller than I am. And uh, Jesse is taller than she is by a few inches. So we're anticipating we're going to have a large grandchild. And that's uh, going to be just so fun just watching him grow and and uh, can't wait to dedicate him right here because we know how much you love not only our kids in the Mossholder tribe, but uh, you, we know how much you love children because it's part of the DNA of our church. And uh, so thank you. Because I had a grandbaby born this week, I had put Pastor Mike Full on notice uh, a few weeks ago. Actually, he very generously said, man, when that grandbaby comes, I would love to, to stand in the pulpit for you and, and bring a word to the church. And man, I'm so grateful, Mike. Come on up, because that allowed me just to spend a lot of time with the Laras and my new grandbaby. So man, thank you. And is, is this guy a gift to our church? Man, I so appreciate you, Mike. And I know what you're preaching on. I'm going down to get my iPad out so I can take, a, take notes along as we explore a beautiful psalm. Love you, buddy. It is a great thing to be a grandparent, I just have to tell you. My four-year-old, she's our youngest, our four-year-old granddaughter called me the other day. And, you know, the pleasantries. And then she jumped in with this, Papa. I just don't know who I'm going to marry when I grow up. <laughs> to which Papa said, perpetual virginity sounds good to me. <laughs> but anyway. So it's always good to be. You know, one thing I love about this church, and I've noticed real quickly, is that we have such unity in this church is that we have a brother in the back here who is wearing an Atlanta Brave baseball cap. And, and lamenting the loss of Freddie Freeman to the Dodgers. And then sitting right behind Pastor Tim and Pastor Kelly is a San Francisco Giant fan. I'm certainly glad we're in church with those two sitting so close to each other, predicated on some of the things that happened in the stadiums. And if you... If you watched the end of the Yankee game yesterday, that was not their shining moment in the sense of the, the crowd was, just became so unruly and it was not fun to watch. And then we have a Dodger t-shirt right down here in the front. And there you go, my brother. Stand up and show him that hat right there. There you go. My beloved angels who just lost two in a row to the worst team in baseball, but we're not, we're not bitter. All right. 
Let's open up. If you've brought your Bibles today, it will be on the screen too. We're going to take a look at Psalm 145. And Psalm 145 is a psalm that I've been working on for several weeks, not just in anticipation of perhaps standing in following the birth of Jesse James, but this is a particular psalm that has meaning to me, as we'll read through it in just a minute, because of its two overarching themes. And the first is this, is the greatness of our God, amen? This is one of the only, in fact, it is the only psalm in the entire collection that is entitled in verse 1, a psalm of praise. It's the only one. And it really extols, it exalts the character of God. And I will tell you that having been a believer for many years and having had the chance to pastor for many years and to teach, there is no subject that is more grand to study than the subject of God. You will never exhaust it. And then the second one is in verse 4, where we have the opportunity to speak to one another of what God's doing. Amen? So let's read through it. Then we're going to start with the first seven verses, and here we go. A psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever and ever great is the lord and most worthy of praise his greatness no one can fathom one generation commends your work to another they tell of your mighty acts they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and by the way when you see the word majesty in the scripture it's from a latin word that literally means great or greatness so majesty is another term it's a synonymous word with greatness They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. All right, let me give you some background. If you've got your Bibles and you're looking with me at verse 1, this is the only time it's said to be a specific title given to a psalm it's simply called a psalm of praise this is written by david wrote 73 at least 73 of the 150 psalms and this one is unique because it's an acrostic in other words every parallel line starts with one of the 22 letters in the jewish alphabet now there are eight of those in the psalms probably because they were used as teaching tools from parents to children It was easier, perhaps, for them to teach their children of these using that method. Now, if you've got a Bible with you, you'll notice that it does not do so in NIV. NIV includes, in verse 13, something that in other texts has parentheses or brackets around it. And that's because in the greater manuscripts that we have, the ones that go farthest back, verse 13 is not found in those. And so it was either a copyist error or someone went back and, and added it because it starts then with the letter N in the, in the Hebrew alphabet. So that parallel, if you will, that acrostic continues. There's another, something else I want you to see here in the first two verses. Notice King David, arguably the greatest king in Israel's history. How does he begin this psalm? I will exalt you, give you great praise. My God, the what? King. In other words, 
David never lost sight of the fact that even in his, in his tremendous privilege and responsibility as the king of Israel, that there was a greater king that he needed to give allegiance to. And so he just begins it with that and then goes on and says, I will praise your name forever and ever. And you're going to see that. We're going to close with that in verse 21 down the road here a bit. But this is one of the two things I want to leave you with today. One of the things I want to leave you with today is this inexhaustible God that we call our God. That you will never understand everything there is to know about God. In fact, here's a nice long word for us that we, we use sometimes in other ways. But in, in theology, there is this doctrine of called the incomprehensibility. That's a multi-syllable word, isn't it? Incomprehensibility of, of God. In other words, can God be totally understood? No. You will study the God of the scriptures from now until he comes for you or we go to be with him, and you will never begin to exhaust all that there is. I was telling Pastor Tim on the phone this week, in my library, you know, I gave about 70% of my library away when I left the church because I figured that, you know, there wasn't going to be room. In fact, my library is in the garage at my house which Cindy will tell you that's why he spends so much time in the garage. It's not doing anything mechanical, believe me. But in my library at home, one of the books I chose to keep is a book by J.I. Packer. He's an Anglican, great theologian. He's still writing in his 90s. And he wrote a book called Knowing God. Knowing God. And I was telling Pastor Tim that it has had such an influence on me But Chuck Swindoll, some of you know that name. Charles Swindoll has been pastoring in the Orange County area, then went back to Dallas and was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. Then he decided he didn't want to be the president anymore. He missed being a pastor, so he started a church, and overnight the church went to hundreds and even to thousands. Swindoll writes in one of the prefaces to his books that he rereads Knowing God every year. Every year. It's not a book that you pick up and just go through real quickly. It makes you think. But the second thing I want you to notice here in this first and second verse is this praise of God. And he says, I will praise you not only every day, but I will praise you what? Forever and ever. Amen? So what we just did here in worship is a prelude to what we're going to do in heaven. Amen? So let's just, it's, it's not a dry run necessarily, right? But what we do here, whenever we worship, whenever we spend time in giving God praise, is simply an introduction to what we're going to do forever in heaven. And I just think that's amazing, right? In Revelation 4 and 5, you get a picture of that. And I would just encourage you to realize that in the middle of this this first set of verses, you have this this idea that God is, is worthy to be praised, And David recognizes that even though he's the king, he has to submit to the king of the earth. Then verse 3, wonderful verse. This is a a verse that you may have read many times, and I love this verse. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. There's three things there. Number one is his character. He is said to be what? Great. All right? The Bible says in the book of Nahum, in chapter 1 and verse 7, that the Lord is great good. There are things about God that are intrinsically true. For example, it is not possible for God not to be good. Amen? You remember the the old line? God is good 
all the time. And all the time, God is good, right? He is intrinsically good. So is he great. He's great. Now, the second thing there, notice most worthy of praise. So there's this character in the first part of verse 3, but in that middle section of verse 3, there's a challenge to you and I to give him what? Praise. To exalt him, verse 1. To extol him, verse 2, which means great praise. And then at the end of verse 3, his greatness no one can fathom. The greatest theologians of history, arguably one of the greatest theologians in our history, is a man named Augustine. I'm sure you've heard the name. I'm sure Pastor Tim, Pastor Kelly, others who've had this pulpit have, have quoted him at some point. His most famous quote is, all men are restless until they find their rest in thee. But he wrote a book called Confessions. And he starts that book off with that verse right there, that God is great and worthy to be praised. His greatness no one can fathom. He is incomprehensible. And there's a challenge for us there. We will never exhaust the knowledge of God. We'll never have a complete understanding of God. Isn't it cool to think that throughout heaven's eternity, we're going to be giving God praise, we're going to be entering into worship, but I have this sneaking suspicion that there's going to be Bible study in heaven. You with me? I, I, think, I think, and there'll be a big screen, and you'll be able to ask questions like, how did you do that? And God might just say, well, let's look at the screen. Right? How did you create the word? Well, the world was created by the word that came out of his mouth, right? Psalm 33. God spoke and the world came into being. I believe there's an ongoing revelation that God's going to pour into us throughout eternity. Why don't we start now? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> what if, I, I just, this is not going to happen because God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Can you imagine being in a classroom and God is the professor and he calls you to give an answer to a question and you're like, I have no idea. What, <laughs> I have no idea what to say to that, right? We're going to be finding out about God throughout eternity. And then in verses 4 through 7, notice it starts with a wonderful verse. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts and then goes on. They, that would be people, speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. Verse 6, they tell of the power of your awesome works. Verse 7, they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing your righteousness. All right, here is a truth and I think something we need to see as equally true. As a parent, when our children were born, my wife and I very much understood, not only because of the fact we've been raised in church and raised in the word, but we are also, in my case, Cindy's parents did not know the Lord, but my parents certainly did. And they set an example before us, but they made very sure that they were to follow the teachings of Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament and Ephesians 6 in the New Testament, that it is the parental responsibility to teach your children of the things of God, right? However, that's the, so we have this here in verse 4, one generation commends your works to another, but here's the deal. It says one generation. It means this, that we're not, if you will, only speaking of that which God has done that's recorded for you in your Bible. As great as those works are, 
right? Many of you as parents, many of you as grandparents, many of you as those who've had significant roles and mentors and disciplers in the lives of young people can, can speak of the fact that you've spoken to them about the things of creation. You've spoken to them about the things of the Exodus when God pulled his people out of Egypt where they'd been for 430 years. All these marvelous things that God did, but we're not limited, verse 4. One generation tells another of his what? His works. We're not limited to what he's already done, amen? We are not limited to what's recorded for us in Scripture. Every successive generation adds to the great works of God, amen? Now, let me just, I got saved at a little church in Costa Mesa, perhaps you've heard it, called Calvary Chapel. All right, in the midst of what has now been called the Jesus movement, the Jesus people movement. And there was, an, there was just a tremendous work of God in that place. There was a tremendous sense of young people, particularly young people, coming to know Christ and so forth. You back that up a little bit, you were back to, I think it's Tim, 1906, the, re, the Zeusa Street Revival. And, and we can talk about that, which is where the origins of us in modern-day Pentecostalism have their, their roots in that. But here's the deal. There's stuff God's doing today, amen, that we should be telling each other. And by the way, have, how many of you, show of hands now, audience participation time, I love this. How many of you have ever had your child or your grandchild teach you something about God? Hello. One generation, little people telling another generation of the great works of God. So historically, verse 4 is seen as a parent sitting down with their child and saying, let me teach to you the things of God. I'm suggesting to you that we we have the freedom here and the latitude to say it's all generations, irrespective of the age of that generation. Young to old, older to younger, Middle-aged people like myself, oh, he just lied. (laughs) I have to tell you, this this is, so I'm at the age now, I'm 66, I'm at the age now where I have to get a physical. I'm supposed to get a physical every year, but I don't listen to the doctor, and it's every other year, right? So, just recently had a physical, and you remember all that that blood work and all those things that you had, and and I've got my arm out, and I'm, I'm not a fan of needles. Can I get a witness? I mean, I just, so when I give blood, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not looking at it, right? Well, this, this dear sweet phlebotomist, this lady taking my blood, she kept going and going and going. And I finally said, you know, the last time I came to you, you didn't take this much blood. Why are you taking so much blood? And she looks at me and she says, you old. <laughs> Uh, I consigned her to the lowest places of hell after that statement. No. Let's go to the next slide. Can I read verses 8 through 13, please, or if you're there? So we begin with the greatness of God. Let's begin now in verse 8 and go through verse 13. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion in all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. 
Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The greatness of God is there in verses 1 through 7. Look what we have in verse 8. Verse 8 is the grace of God. Now, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that you look at that verse and you say, I, I've read that someplace else. You know why you've read that someplace else? That is the most repeated verse in one form or another of any verse in the Old Testament. It's used eight other times. In other words, what is being highlighted there for us is the character of God. Now, I didn't bring it, and the reason I didn't bring it is because I didn't want to give any attention to somebody who has such a different view of God as this particular gentleman did. I'm not even going to mention his name. He wrote a book that was very popular. Uh, he is decidedly atheistic in his approach. And by the way, uh, the atheist is the person who has no invisible means of support. I'll just let you sit with that one, therefore. But he wrote this book about God, and he declared God to be many different things, none of which are true. None of which are true. And really was quite blasphemous in, in his, his caricature of God. God's response through us to things like that is simply to remind ourselves and have the opportunity to speak to others of verse 8. Our God is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. I, I want to suggest to you that when we run into people who have a decidedly different view of God, the best thing we can do to give ourselves an opportunity to speak into their life is to be gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. God's grace is beyond our ability to understand him. And how many times in the last week have you stopped and just thanked God for his grace? It's not just something we do over food, amen? Not only is his grace found there in verse 8, but look, if you will, at verse 9. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion and all he made. All your works praise you, Lord, your faithful people extol you. You know what you have there in verse 9? You have a picture of creation. Look at verse 9. He has compassion on all he has made. It's not that he has compassion just on people. Amen? The Bible says that God has compassion, and it will be shown to us how that is demonstrated in a few verses down in this psalm. He has compassion on the creation that he spoke into being. His compassion is not just to animate people, but to the beasts of the field, to the trees. It's general revelation to be true that, that creation argues for the power of God, but God takes care of his creation too. Not in the same way that you and I do, but his goodness is sound for us there in verse 9. And then look at verse 10. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. There is, a, there is a truth that God gives grace to all people. It's called, if you will, common grace. You can call it everyday grace if you want. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that God causes the sun to rise on the righteous and on the unrighteous. 
In Luke chapter 6, it says the Lord allows rain to come on the faithful and the unfaithful. In other words, people may not recognize it, people may not applaud it, people may not even believe it, but the truth of the matter is that no one exists without the grace of God being demonstrated to them in some way. And this verse speaks to that. It's common grace. And then finally, look at verses 11 through 13. They tell, again, your faithful people, end of verse 12, or verse 10, I'm sorry. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Before we take a look at the last paragraph, please don't, don't miss, if you will, all people may know of your mighty acts. The nation of Israel was called by God to be a light to the nations of the world around them. However miserably they failed at times, the truth of the matter is God said, I want you to be the bearer of good news to the nations around me. And that, dear people, has not changed. Now we are the bearer of the news that Jesus has come so that we might have life. Jesus has come so we might have freedom. Jesus has come so that we might have an opportunity to have relationship with God. What is the message of the church? The message of the church, end of Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, 20, is go into the whole world and do what? Preach the gospel. teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The message of the church is Jesus. And it has not changed. And now we look at the last paragraph, beginning in verse 14, if you will. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. I have pugs, two pugs. Their names are Jackson and Spencer. When they're naughty, it's Satan and Antichrist. No, just kidding. But when I get them up in the morning, it's my job to get them up in the morning, and I bring them out of their, their crates, right? They've got brown eyes, and those brown eyes are looking at me, and if they could talk, this is what they'd say. Feed me. Feed me. Look at verse... 15 there, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So we had the greatness of God. We had the grace of God. We had the goodness of God, which brings you to the glory of God, the sum total of all his attributes, the glorious person and work of God and his kingdom. And we end now with the generosity of God. Generosity, dear ones, I spoke the last time I was here, I think I spoke on that idea of the generous heart. 
And generosity is a disposition of the heart that regardless of who is the recipient, there is no ulterior motive to the person who has a generous heart. They give just because they know it is the right thing to do. That's the generosity in which you see here in verses 14 through 21. You stay with me in verse 14. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. In the book of Proverbs, it says, the righteous man falls seven times and is revived. The wicked man falls once. In other words, how many times in your life, dear people, have you fallen down spiritually? You've fallen down relationally. And who got you up? So here we have in verse 14, the generosity of God. He's always looking for somebody who has not just fallen down, but notice at the end of verse 14, the one who's bowed, who's bearing the burden of this life. You know, one of the most famous verses of Scripture that Jesus ever gave was in Matthew 11 toward the end of the chapter. You'll probably recognize it. Come to me, all who labor and are what? Heavily laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You know what that burden was he was referring to there? His burden there was the rules and the regulations that the Pharisees and the other leaders of the Jews kept pulling on people. And instead of bringing them into places of freedom, all they did was just add heavy loads to them, and they made no attempt to lift them. Our God lifts people up when they fall, but he also is especially concerned about those who are weighed down with the cares of this life, weighed down by the burdens of the... I don't know about you guys, but I, there are times, and I don't, I don't watch the news. I, when I lived in Orange County, I used to read three newspapers a day because I could, and now I just don't. But there are times... I don't want to be the only person who will say amen to this right now. There are times I just have to put the newspaper down and walk away because it just burdens my heart. Yeah. Now, I do have one thought there. If you put the newspaper down, you might want to pick your Bible up. Amen. Yeah. One of the beautiful things about this reading plan that we're going through, I just, I just love it. I, when I do get up in the morning... I have about a half hour to myself before I kind of start with the dogs and all the things that go along with that and make the coffee and so forth. But I learned a long time ago that the first person you should talk to in the morning is Jesus. And the first thing you should read in the morning is the Word of God. So tomorrow that means Mark chapter 10, right? Number two, look at verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Bible says elsewhere in Psalms that the Lord's ears are always open to the cry of the righteous. But I want you to notice there's a little parenthetical aside there in that verse. It's a little prepositional phrase, and we better be very sure, but we get it. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him what? In truth. That truth that you have on your lap. That truth that you have on an iPad. That truth that you have written in your heart. Amen? Our prayers, if you will, should be directed by the Word of God. Our prayers should be... We, we understand that when we pray, in 1 John chapter 4, I believe it says, that we, we 
are praying in according to his will. And where is his will found? In the word of the Lord. In truth, though, is not just this kind of truth. It's not just propositional truth. It's the truth of a heart that is sincere. So when I call upon him in truth, I'm not calling upon him with unconfessed sin in my life. I'm not calling upon him to ask him to give me something he's already in his wisdom and his goodness that says not to mine to have. There's a sincerity there. Can I use this word? A word that is glowingly lacking in our culture today. It is the integrity of our heart. And God says, I'll be pleased to listen to the one who calls upon me in truth. And then finally, there in verse 19 and 20, I love this. And I love the way that the, the author, David, puts these two thoughts together. Verse 19, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. The Bible says in Psalm 36 in verse 1 that the reason there are wicked people, the reason wicked people do evil things is because there's no fear of God before their eyes. Dear sweet people, if someone ever comes up to you and says, what's the problem with our culture? That's your answer. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But then notice it says there, He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. This awe, this wonder, this reverence that we have for God. It's not a servile fear where we're trembling and falling down because we're afraid that he's out to get us. No, it's a fear that says you love us. You have given so greatly to us. In your grace, you continue to pour out mercy and truth to us. And so the fear there is where you have in Proverbs chapter 1. What's the beginning of knowledge? The fear of the Lord. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 23, 23. Easy to remember. 2, 3, 2, 3. Buy truth and don't sell it. <laughs> in other words, what, what, are we, what, are we, what are we getting? What are we, when I wake up in the morning, what do I want when I open my Bible? I just want to be a wiser man. Because if I'm a wiser man, I'll be a better man. If I'm a better man, I'll be a better husband. If I'm a better husband, it's because I understand. That's what God has called forth from me. See, there are people who tell me they love God, but they don't fear him. they got a buddy-buddy relationship with him, but they just live their life whatever they want to do. That's not the kind of relation we're talking about. And there are some people who tell me they fear God, but they don't love him. They've never come to a place where they see him as father. In J.B. Phillips' great book, Your God is Too Small, he talks about the caricatures people have of God. And he says, one of the caricatures, he says, people think that God is some kind of celestial policeman, and he's up there in heaven just trying to put the screws to all your fun. That's not our God. I've never had as much fun as since I got saved. <laughs> Maybe I should say fun. I should say the word joy. land a plane. Look at the way he ends this psalm. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. 
So what do we do with this? What's the application? The application is, first of all, that we will never exhaust the study of God. But we ought to be studying God. Amen? Theologians call that theology proper, the, the doctrine of God. And we're not going to get to a place where we understand everything, but we will understand what he allows us to understand. Amen? He will reveal to us by his spirit that which he knows, wants us to know. He is, he is not able to be fully understood, but that doesn't mean you can't understand him. Right? On his deathbed, <laughs> on his deathbed, it is rumored that Mark Twain who was a brilliant writer, amen, brilliant writer, arguably one of the five greatest authors America's ever produced, right? And was not a believer. In fact, can you imagine having your wife say to you, she was on her deathbed, and he said to her, allegedly he said to Lily, her name was Lily, 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 summon up your faith. And she said to him, I have no faith left, I was married to you. Ouch! And so he's got a Bible, and he's dying. And somebody says, well, Mr. Twain, this is unlike you. And they ask him why he was doing it. He says, well, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do. The second thing I want you to see here is the consistent call, and it started in verse 1, and it ended in verse 21, of the responsibility and the privilege and the pleasure you and I have to give God praise every day of our life. Amen. So let me, let me help you with that. We had five G words, right? Greatness, great. Grace, goodness, glory, and generosity. We got five work days this week, amen? <laughs> well, <laughs> you have five work days. I'm retired. <laughs> so much for that, right? Why don't you spend tomorrow, set aside a few minutes, and just meditate on the greatness of God? And Tuesday, why don't you think about how God has shown grace to you? And on Wednesday, think about how God has been good, not just to you, but good through you. Amen? Have you ever thought about the fact that the Bible is not lying when it says to us that we partner with God? 1 Corinthians 3. How many people do you think have been blessed by you because God has poured out his goodness through you? How has God been good to you and through you? Fourth, think about his glory. The sum total of all his characteristics. And then finally on Friday, how has God been generous to you? Let me give you help with that one. You know how I know God's been generous to me? He forgives me. <laughs> right he's generous with his forgiveness of me so just like we've got our 260 reading plan and you monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday you have a chapter in the new testament and you're and you're hopefully reading that journaling that and seeing some things about god in there how about a five-day praise a-thon and start with his greatness i have one last thought for you I think, I don't know if the text is, don't worry about putting it back in there. I think it's verse 16, and I think it's verse 19. 
where God says he delights to give people the desires of their heart. Is that, am I right? I think it's 16 and 19. One of the most misinterpreted passages in the book of Psalms is Psalm 37, where it says this in verses 3, 4, and 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. How many times have you had somebody say to you? How many times have we said, well, I'm just asking God to give me the desires of my heart. Okay, allow me to be a little pastoral now. If your trust is not in God, if you're not doing that which God has already called you to do, if your life is not growing in faithfulness, if you're not delighting yourself in, in the worship of God, if you don't trust in him and in him only, why do you think he's going to give you the desires of your heart? Here's the, the last thought. You know, the desires of your heart, God is pleased to give you when his heart becomes your heart. Amen. Amen. When his heart becomes your heart, you can be sure that the desire of your heart will be granted. Amen. Amen. Pastor Tim. Verse 16, he opens his hand and satisfies. He opens his hand and satisfies. God's hand is not a closed fist coming after you. He is compassionate and gracious and loving and forgiving. He's not got this clenched fist. Nor does he have this hand that is to take from you, to take your joy, to take your pleasure, to take your life and do something with it that would not be a blessing to you. He opens his hand to satisfy. And Jesus, we are so grateful. Lord, for the satisfaction, Lord, in life that we can experience, the joy, the fulfillment, the goodness, the generosity, Lord, of you. Lord, thank you, Father, that we get to experience that when we simply say yes. When we open our lives to you, to put our trust in you. Lord, we get to be the recipients, those who receive of all that you have for us, all of your goodness, all of that satisfaction. Today, we're going to have the ministry team come forward. And if you're someone who has maybe struggled with living a life that you feel is fulfilled, is satisfied, can I invite you 
to come to receive prayer, to receive ministry. Whatever needs to be confessed, when we just say, hey, you know, I'm, I think I've been living in a way that God has not been able to bless or to bring satisfaction to. Speak that out and say, you know what? I think I've been living wrong. I, I, I've been living in ways that God couldn't bless, but I want to experience the blessing of Jesus. He's here for you. He's here for you. Would you repeat these words after me? He opens his hand and satisfies. Why would we want to live in any other way than to walk under that open hand of blessing? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your greatness, your goodness, your grace, your generosity to us. Lord, may we grow in our understanding and the truth of who you are day by day. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if you need prayer, if you just need to confess something and say, would you just pray for God's blessing in my story? The ministry team is here and available. Pastor Ken is out in the courtyard as well for those there. And if you want to just give your life to Jesus, if you want to say, you know what? I, I want this Jesus in my life. Any one of this team up here would be happy to pray with you to receive Jesus, to make him your Lord and your Savior, the great one. Amen. Hey, church family, next week, uh, it, it was delayed a week for good reason because my grandbaby came up. We're going to be in a new series that I'm excited to bring with you. Um, I, I really urge you to be with us over the next few weeks because it's going to be a series about who we are as individuals, but also who we are as a church. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for this. So bless the Lord. And gentlemen, don't forget, Mike is going to be back at the info counter there. And uh, go sign up for our Men's Summit, May 20th and 21st. Love you. Have a great week. Grow in the Lord.